This is the first time. Chirp Radio's live storytelling and music series recorded at Martyrs in Chicago's North Center neighborhood. Here's your host, Jen Sodini. Um, guys, up next, we've got Britt Julia. She's a writer. She writes for Vice. I know, guys. Give it up. She writes for Vice, L. She's the editor at for Thump, the uh, electro- well, I guess like electronic music Vice part. Guys, I, it was an honor. I once did Funny Haha with Brit, and I was like, she will be mine for the first time. Brit Julius, everybody. The last day I drove a car was May 13th, 2005, the day I acquired my driver's license. It was the second time I took the driving test, barely passing as the instructor made a point of telling me. I don't know where your head is, she said to me, but it ain't here. And it's true for my head is never really where it should be, at least not in moments like that. But this isn't a story about the second test. It's about the first test. Sometime in the early 1970s, my grandmother got into a car crash. She injured her finger and never got it fixed, so the bone was broken into a strange, angular position. In my childhood, I can remember that crooked finger fixing up grilled cheese sandwiches for me during late nights in which my father worked at an electronics store and my mother was in class acquiring her master's degree. I could remember that crooked finger handing me orange slices out of a a clear glass candy dish in the dining room of my grandparents' home in the Austin neighborhood of Chicago. I could remember that crooked finger and the other fingers on her hand rubbing my hair gently as I laid my head across her lap. She would comfort me if I had a bad day at school or if I was angry at my sister or if I was ill and needed to stay home with someone to take care of me. Her hand and my mind became ingrained in me as a source of comfort and home during years when our home lives were equally split between the safety of our grandparents' house in the city and the supposed safety of the suburbs. As a child, I used to touch her hand, fascinated by it. It always looked like she was in the process of doing something. I never considered the reality, which is that she was not in the process, but rather stopped short. She was not going somewhere. She stopped going anywhere altogether. Driving was always strange for me. I didn't feel a strong need to get my license like my peers. My mother enrolled my sister and I in in school years earlier than our peers. So I was always at minimum one year younger, but most likely two years younger than the people in my grade. So the prospect of driving didn't feel this yearning in me for my friends just took me wherever I wanted to go. But during senior year, my school dean called me into her office one afternoon and told me students were not allowed to graduate without a driver's license. I know now logically at age 29 that what she said made no sense. (laughs) She had, I later learned at the age of 26, made a deal with my parents to lie to me and tell me that I would not be able to drive, to graduate without getting my driver's license. I was an impressionable teenager though. And so I took her at her word and signed up for a class at a dingy storefront driving school two blocks away from my childhood home. Most of the people in my class were far older than me. They were required to take the course after facing license suspensions or DUIs in court. 
One class once a week for a few hours every afternoon. What was the problem? But weeks later, in the car with my driving instructor, he began to yell at me. Why are you messing this up? Don't you want this? Don't you want to be free? He sat in the passenger seat and I in the driver's seat of a training car. I couldn't buckle my seatbelt or put the key in the ignition or check my mirrors. I didn't even put my hands on the steering wheel or my feet near the gas pedals. Most students, he said, are almost too eager to get going and were more at risk for going too fast than not going at all. But I was not most students. Illinois students are required to track a minimum of 25 hours of driving time with a parent or guardian to receive a license. My mother let my father be my guide, which we all knew was a bad decision, but still let happen anyway. On weekend mornings, my father would wake me up as early as possible to drive around town and the surrounding neighborhoods. We would practice parking and pulling out of tight spaces. We would make turns and turns and turns until I felt comfortable making turns in any place at any time. But one day, I couldn't do any more. I just simply stopped. I was immobilized. I kept the car parked. We were in some windiest parking lot. It was 6.30 in the morning. What is wrong with you? My father asked. I don't know, I screamed back. Nothing is really going right. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, he said. But he did know, and my mother did as well. You are not your grandmother, my mother would often say to me. But the older I became, the more I began to see the similarities between us. I recognized this sadness and this anxiety and this disappointment in life that she always sort of permeated. It kept her unable to keep going. And at my age back then, age 17, that same sadness and anxiety and disappointment kept me immobilized as well. I could not control my schooling or my friendships or even the possibilities of the future. The one thing I could control was my physicality, where I was going and how I was going there. A car was machinery, an outside object. The world was not mine to be shaped, rather I was to be shaped by the world, what I could do in it, where I could go in it. My mind raced, my thoughts obsessive. Tears flowed down my face and I began to heave silently. My chest constricted and as if having an asthma attack. I grabbed my inhaler, taking long, deep breaths. I looked at my father and opened the car door and began to walk away. If you walk away, he said, I'm not going to help you. I didn't say anything because I knew the truth. The only thing I could rely on really were my own two legs. I stopped driving with him after that time. And by the time that we had gotten to that point, I had only really driven about 10 hours of my necessary 25 hours of training. But I went to get my license anyway. Here's what I remember from that first test. The sky was overcast and the air filled with the moisture of humidity. Still, there was a bite that kept me nervous. It was barely seven in the morning. The only cars in the street were cars going to the DMV. We parked one by one in the spaces closest to the front door. I drove my mother's champagne-colored sedan and she waited patiently in a plastic seat near the front of the room for me to return until I suppose a local police officer entered the facility and told her that her youngest daughter currently sat on a curb a few blocks away with silent tears streaming down her face. And next to her daughter was a street lamp, which had toppled over from the sheer force of that same champagne-colored sedan that backed into it minutes before. The car didn't have a scratch. 
I remember the neighbors who walked outside of their homes to investigate the noise and stood by, hoping some sort of action would disrupt the quiet slumber of their far west suburb. I remember a police officer issuing me a ticket telling me I was charged with destruction of public property and that I would have to appear in court, which I did. But most of all, I remember the long car ride home with my mother, who merely sighed loudly every few minutes as I looked out the window. You know, maybe I'm not meant to be a driver, I said to her. You are not your grandmother, she yelled. You are not. For despite her kindness and her beauty and her humor and her grace, to be my grandmother was to be an ill woman, a woman never recovered, a woman stuck in the prison of her fear and her mind. To be my grandmother was to be lost, but silent about that loss. To be my grandmother was to be beholden to the whims of other people and her partner especially. I don't want you to be trapped, my mother said to me. I want you to be able to do anything and to go anywhere. I didn't know what she meant then, but I understand it now. Life stopped for my grandmother once she stopped driving. First she stopped working, no longer able to continue her shifts as a nurse. Then she stopped long trips and errands. Leaving the house was only really out of necessity. And the longer she stayed indoors, the more the peculiars of her mind took root. Immobility grew from the tangible to the mental until it was everywhere and all at once. We don't talk about my family's mental illnesses, but we understand how they manifest, usually in alcoholism or addiction or other forms of reckless behavior. But that's all normal, right? That's all well and good. I am like my grandmother, though. We internalize and we demean and we feel not at ease with ourselves. We say and do weird things, withdraw through the sheer force of our own will. That is crazy, not good, is very wrong to my family. I could not succumb to that. You know, I'm 29 now. I fantasize about the freedom of the road. I wonder what kind of person I could have become if I had not been this person who doesn't drive, right? I think about all the ways I could have reinvented myself if I had the comfort of thousands of pounds of steel to remove me from the invisible walls of the city of Chicago. I imagine myself as a fully realized woman no longer tied to the diminishing expectations of this place. I believe that I would be someone who could go to places I view now only on pocket-sized screens. I imagine what that tangible feeling of freedom must feel like and how, as a young black woman, someone with two strikes already against me, that freedom could possibly help me navigate and negotiate through the physical and mental impediments of this world and of my mind. I didn't know it then, but I know now how powerful freedom is and how I have lacked the freedom to just be someplace else, the freedom to be myself, the freedom to drive, to go away, to not be here. I fight for it in bits and pieces now, the older I get. But none of it is equal to that freedom of not being here. It is not equal to the freedom of being in the process of going somewhere and doing something and not knowing the future set before me. It is not in road trips the road trips I've never taken. I can plan and manipulate and change, but in the end, I'm still here. I'm still beholden to the limitations of this body and the vastness of this land of the Midwest of Chicago that I have always grown up in. I am still a thing in this body, unable to break free. I am not going. 
a few weeks later, during my second driving test, I got my license. And as I said before, I never drove again. It was an unremarkable experience. A part of me still, I think, felt traumatized from that crash and the weeks leading up to that crash and the fear of my lineage. And so I just stopped driving because I didn't want to know what came next if I did something wrong and stopped altogether. But I began to walk because I realized a walk was movement in a way that I was maybe incapable of claiming under the roof of a car. I took long, long walks for hours and hours and went to neighborhoods I didn't know before. And when I moved, to this, moved back to the city after originally being here in my childhood in the Austin neighborhood, I left the west side, which I knew so intimately block by block and walked on the north side and the south side to places I was told I should not go because they do not want black people like you there. A walk is and was an instructional manual for me. This is how you survive in a world that excludes, that thrives at breaking you down, that wants nothing more than to see you cower. You push through it. You show them everything you have. You be the best without question. You keep going. A walk is physicality, is control over the body, is a subconscious mental negotiation from one place to the next. It is going, going, going. I am still going. I began to walk with purpose, for to move and to walk with purpose is to rebel against the world that manipulates how we exist within it and also the world we create within our own minds, the obsessive thoughts that keep us from going anywhere, the depression that keeps us crippled inside of our bedrooms for days and weeks on end. I didn't drive, but I still moved. I kept going, kept progressing, finding new places to discover. I kept finding freedom in small forms, like my Microdosing a drug, finding bits and pieces of pleasure, if only for a few moments, in order to keep myself alive and capable. I still moved, and I still move, for movement keeps my mind from succumbing to the pressures of the depression of my lineage, the truth in myself, the reality in my limbs, the fear and failure in a crash in life paused. It is not a perfect solution, but I crave it. Going is the chance to take back what my mind has taken from me, what I don't really have behind the wheel of a car. I keep a long stride, a straight back, a head held high. I do so and do not let go. I cannot afford the alternative. Thank you.
listening to a Chirp Radio podcast of our live storytelling and music series, The First Time. Our storyteller was Britt Julius, and The First Time 4 performed Motor Away by Guided by Voices. The First Time 4 is Steve Frisbee, Liam Davis, Gerald Dowd, and Scott Stevenson. To hear more First Time pieces, check out the series website, firsttime.chirpradio.org. And you can find other podcasts produced by the station at chirpradio.org slash podcasts. Chirp Radio, hear what's next.